it is important to correctly characterize in the the moment in the upper room to to understand the context of the moment and in the sense of how the characters were playing out I, I want you to think of the disciples the 12 men that he had gathered with him in that upper room to celebrate or at least to to, to do the last supper I want you to think of their perspective because their presence with him is our presence with him. Do you understand as they sat with him, we sit with him. Those men are us in reality. We had 12 men. We know one of them was going to betray him. We just know that. So really you're talking... 11 at this point. He had spent three and a half years with these men. And one of them was going to betray him. Well, maybe he did better with the other 11. Well, you had Peter, who was quicker to shoot his mouth off than than think. Always putting his foot in his mouth but really saying what we all want to say and are scared to say it. You had uh, Matthew, who was a tax collector, probably still hated and, and under suspect to some of the other disciples, especially Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot would be a, a nationalist who just wanted to kick Rome out, and you know him and Matthew had some warm and fuzzy moments together in the group. You had Thomas, which he doubted anything would ever happen out of any of this. You had really all the men wanted to get out of Jerusalem as quickly as possible, especially after the raising of Lazarus and their lives were at stake. He brought them into the upper room and they didn't know what he was doing. They were totally in the dark. So if you think you have 12 or at least 11 men who were passionately following Jesus, you've misread the group and the moment. They don't ask for foot washing. In fact, Luke tells us that right before the foot washing, an argument broke out of all things. At the point where Jesus was facing death and the crucifixion, the disciples got into a big argument. And if you remember in Luke, it was an argument about who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Jockeying for position. It it hadn't happened, but earlier that the mother of James and John came to Jesus asking her to put her two boys on the throne, one at his right hand and one on the left. Remember that? The other disciples heard that and broke into a big argument about who was going to be first. This is the master's man. This is us. This is us. This is who he's got to work with. And yet he washed their feet. And yet he pulls out the rag. He pulls out the water. And he goes around and cleanses them, washing their feet of the defilement of this life. There is no merit in these men. There is nothing that attracts the Savior to them except His love for them. And there is nothing that attracts His love to you except His love to you. Now that's a releasing, freeing thought. 
Because if I didn't do anything to attract his love, I can do nothing to send his love away. He just chooses to love us. So here you have the master and his men. Do you understand the moment now that he pulls out the towel and the water and washes their feet? In John chapter 13, verse 12, he asks them a question. Verse 12 of chapter 13, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? Notice he did not ask them, Do you understand what I have done for you? This is something I did to you. It's completely different. If someone does something for you, you probably had a hand in off asking them or at least giving them permission to do it. If I, if I say to you, this is what I have done to you, you have no part in it. You have no, yes, go ahead and wash my feet. In fact, it was an embarrassing, awkward 35 to 40 minutes of this stuff. Do you understand what I have done to you? Now again, capture the moment in your mind. Remember the seven, the seven occurrences in the washing of his feet? I'll remind you briefly. It, it said that he laid aside his outer garment. I'll just give you a few of them. They relate to his deity and how he came to us. And how he laid down his outer garments. He put aside the glory that he shared with the Father to come down. He wrapped himself with a towel. He wrapped himself with humanity. Restraining himself for 33 years. He poured water into a basin. He poured out his life in sacrificial love on the cross. He took that rag and he, or he took his hands and he washed their feet of the defilement that they'd carried into that room. And then with this very towel that he wrapped around his life, he completed them by drying. There was no drip drying in the upper room. There was hand towel drying. When they were done, their feet were done. And when you've come to Christ, it is all finished and done by the life of Jesus that he plants inside of you by that towel. And then it said at the last movement of the seven that he put his garment back on of glory and went and resumed his place at the right hand of the second person of the Godhead. In that high place of deity, he asked you and I, do you understand what I have done to you? No longer as the rabbi, no longer as the teacher, but as the God of the universe, do you understand what I have done to you? He goes on and says, in verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord. And you are right, for so I am. If I then, notice the subtle reversal, your Lord and teacher. Did you catch that? It is significant. When you first started following me, you called me teacher. You listened to me as a teacher. I became your Lord in the process. 
But now do you see me as first of all Lord and then your teacher? There are two significant symbols of what he did. In the washing of his feet, he told Peter, you don't understand now, you will later. When the Holy Spirit came, now we understand that that was the cleansing of defilement spiritually that he does for all of us all the time. That when you walk in this world, you step in things. In things that you didn't mean to step in, and sometimes you step in stuff you meant to step in. And he's always cleaning you. We learned last week you don't ask for this cleansing. He just does it automatically. That's right. We don't, we, don't, we don't confess our sins in order for him to cleanse us. He cleanses us all the time. We confess our sins to acknowledge those sins and to rejoice over the cleansing that he does all the time. You're always clean. Do you know that? But the second one is practical in nature, and let's see what it is, and let's see it within its context. I have a friend of mine who is, uh, who is a preacher and who bends toward the, the law side of the gospel. And he said to me a long time ago about all this grace that we preach, he said, what about the oughts? What about the oughts? There are oughts all in the Bible. What about the oughts? Well, we're going to deal with an ought now, and let's look at it. Verse 13. I wish my friend were here, but you're here. You call me teacher and Lord. See the context? And you're right in doing so. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, are always cleansing you, you also ought to wash one another's feet. On the basis of my lordship in your life, on the basis of you receiving the free grace of constantly being cleansed, constantly, on that basis, you do it to other people. I don't know about you, but I'm not crazy about washing somebody else's feet. I was interested to hear from many of you last week who grew up in churches that actually washed feet. Interesting. I don't know if this verse tells us the church to wash feet. If you're here and you want that, you might be in the wrong church. <laughs> Linda Unger said, back then a lot of lilies wore hose, and so we would, they would just wash right through the hose, your feet. Strange, take a little longer to dry, I suppose. That's not what Jesus is talking about. This is not one of the ordinances of the church. Listen to what he's saying. I freely forgive you all the time. I am so gracious all the time to you as your Savior, as your Master. You don't have to ask me for forgiveness. You don't have to ask me to be gracious and serve and love you. You don't have to ask that. That happens all the time because I love you so much. And when you receive that kind of life, all of a sudden you become very gracious and forgiving and loving to other people. Not because you ought to do it because I did it to you, but because you ought to do it because I'm always doing it to you. There's nothing in us that wants to serve anybody else. If you think that, you've, you're, you're, you've, you've, you're confused. All of us want to be served. 
Jesus isn't saying, because I did this to you, but because I'm always doing this to you. Notice he goes on. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Then in verse 16, notice the context continues. Because if you pull this verse out, this looks like something we ought to be doing for one another. But you've missed the first part about his lordship and the fact that he's always doing it for you. And you're going to miss the second part, the other context, the other bookend to the teaching that's in verse 16. Truly, truly, I say unto you, a servant is not greater than his master. One who serves the master is not greater than the master himself. It is in the context of serving the master that we wash other people's feet. Those feet are ugly. Those feet stink. Those feet are all around us. People are always insulting us. We carry our feelings on our shoulders. We're always being heard and wronged and and no one does us right and we're defending ourselves all the time and all the time the master is washing and cleaning and washing and when you see that in that kind of context, all of a sudden your rights aren't important. Notice what else he says. Nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. The servant does, the messenger speaks. The messenger speaks that which he heard from the one who sent him. The dominant thought is not your message of love, it's the one who sent you. It's the one who's your master. Focused on the master and on the one who sent us, we say the right things and we do the right things. Take your eyes off the master, Take your eyes off the one who sent him, put it on those dirty feet, and the last thing you want to do is wash them down. See the context? Understand it? Now something's eating at the Savior. Something is absolutely torn his heart out. Look what it is. I am not speaking of all of you. Do you hear the passion in that? Do you hear the disappointment in that? Do you hear the heartbreak of that? I am not speaking of all of you, for I know whom I have chosen. Now in the room, all the Calvinists jumped up and said, yeah, that's the whole choosing thing. This has nothing to do with Calvinistic choosing. Nothing. This is simply the choosing of his twelve. Jesus, in response to Peter, said one time, he said, have I not chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil. Jesus says, I know the twelve that I chose. He says, nothing to, I know you want to jump on this for theology, but it's not theology at this point. It's simply the choosing of the twelve. I know who I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. This is Psalm 41, and he only quotes half of it. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. If you read the first part of that verse, Jesus left out, it is my close, my close friend in whom I have trusted, ate my bread and lifted his heel against me. Jesus never put his trust in Judas. He never put his trust in Peter. He never puts his trust in you. He puts his faith in what he can do in you. 
but never in you. So here is the scripture that says, Judas lifted up his heel, the one who ate bread with me. Have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever been betrayed like that? That's painful. Jesus felt that. Notice the next verse. I'm telling you this now before it takes place. Apparently this was so going to rattle the disciples that Jesus said that when it does come to take place, you may believe that I am he. I'm prepping you for this shocking moment that one of us will betray me. Now, Jesus nails the whole thing in the last verse, and I want to prepare you for it before you look at it. What was Judas's problem? What was Judas's dilemma? What is our dilemma if we refuse to wash feet? What is our dilemma? Look at the next verse 20. Truly, truly, I say unto you, whoever receives the one I send. Well, that's a great question. Who is the one that I send? He's not ready to send these men yet. Do you think they're ready? No. They need the Holy Spirit. He's not talking about his disciples. Neither is he talking about us as if he sent us. I want to suggest to you there's only one that he could be talking about, and he is the Holy Spirit. Notice verse 20. Truly, truly, I say unto you, whoever receives the one that I sent receives me. Notice, whoever receives me receives the one who sent me, which was God the Father. In this verse, he looks at his men and says, Do you know who I am? You will know when the Spirit of God comes that I am God, the Son, and I am sent by God, the Father. And the one that just took a towel and wiped the camel dung off your feet is the God of the universe. Isn't that shocking? Isn't that amazing? And the one that loves you is God Almighty in the person of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that astonishing? What was Judas's problem? He thought Jesus was just a revolutionary. He thought he was a rabbi carpenter's son. He thought he was just there to kick Rome out of the country. His view and, his, and, and, and opinion and his viewpoint of Jesus Christ was so incredibly low that he betrayed him. What's your viewpoint of him? Well, how do you see him? Do you see him as God Almighty, the one who made the universe, the one who made the stars and flung them into space? washing your feet and my feet. We take away from the work of Christ in us when we don't see Christ for who he was. If he is all that he said he was, every, every, I almost said every stinking word, but every word, every word he spoke, 
is full of power and significant significance and the act of washing his feet, which he's doing for you right now. Foot watching is never merited. We don't merit it. No one gets their feet washed because they're significant. You know that? But because you've had a wonderful, wonderful day and you haven't cussed in a couple hours. <laughs> you know, you know, you haven't, you haven't thought a bad thought in about 30 seconds and so you just... <laughs> I met you never merit it. Do you know that? Aren't you constant aren't you and I constantly reminded what low kind of stuff we are? And yet he still loves us. We ordered some uh I, I gotta get that off that thing because it's driving me nuts. We uh we ordered some cushions and uh to put on our sunroom furniture, and, and they were kind of expensive cushions, but we wanted new fabric, and the other cushions were shot. And so we waited five weeks for these to be made down in Tampa, shipped to a store in St. Augustine, so it came in. You know, So Saturday, Karen and I drove down there. Well, I didn't know where this place was, and I got lost. And for any man who gets lost, he gets very frustrated. You know, And so after I called the lady about th the third time, you know, uh, I, finally I found the place. So, you know, went in there, and I, Karen said, don't embarrass me. I may, may want to come back here. Don't embarrass me. I said, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. Got the cushions home. Totally messed the order up. Wrong cushion. Not the right colors, but they've missed several chairs. And so I'm, I'm sitting there just fuming. Can't you people get anything right? Does anybody care about something, you know, being doing something right? You know, and I sat down, I thought, you know, 1,400 people just died in Nepal, and I'm worried about my cushions. None of us merit it, do we? We're always reminded. I told Karen this morning, I said, I don't know why I get, maybe it's my old age, I'm just getting really ticked off, you know, all the time. That's the only one we're going to see, apparently. I remember. <laughs> Foot washing requires that you kneel down. Do you know that? There's nothing more humbling than getting on your knees. That's why women make men do that when they propose. Let's start this whole marriage off with hu your humility. Yeah. I want you to know for the next 40 years what position you're going to be in. Amen? Get on your knees! The mistake men make is getting back up. <laughs> yeah. You're all down there, you know that, don't you? Foot washing requires that you get out, requires that you remember that you're human. What a scallywag you are. And how much he loves you, and it doesn't matter to him, you know? So when somebody irritates you, remember how much, I almost said you irritate him, but you don't. 
Remember how much he just so much loves you and just is not irritated with you. And the last one, I'm going to, oh yeah, foot washing never ends. Never ends. Dishes never end. Laundry never ends. You dust something and in two days it needs to be dusted again. Dirt collects. Last week I threw seed out of my lawn so I could grow some more weeds. No matter how many pull up, there they are again. Weed after weed, dirt after dirt, dust after dust, dog hair everywhere. It never ends. But he never gets tired of washing our feet. Always, constantly. If you get tired of washing other people's feet, it's because you've taken your eyes off the master washing your feet. If you're irritated with situations and other people, it's because you forgot of what he's doing for you all the time. So just keep that in mind because it always slips. Some of you don't need foot washing because you're not clean. Some of you have never come to Christ as your Savior. Never. Never have you bowed the knee to Jesus Christ. And say, so what you need is not a basin of water and a towel. You need a bath. And that bath is provided by the cross and blood and love of Jesus Christ, the mighty sacrifice on the cross. There's no use washing feet when the whole body is dirty. You can have that bath today by coming to Christ as your Savior. And then you'll be clean, every bit of you. And you'll have an eternal foot washer, at least in this life. Lord Jesus, we're grateful for your mercy and kindness to us. Uh, we recognize, as much as we understand, as much as the Holy Spirit has revealed to us the truth of your cleansing power. We see the disciples in the upper room as men who were rebellious, afraid, numb, confused. And we're all, the, we're all those things wrapped up together. And yet by your grace, you just go to washing. That's right. You just, you just cleanse us of the everyday stuff we step in. And then on the basis of you being our master and the one that sent us and the one who's always, we ought to be those things to other people. But only on the basis of you.